Well, I was just telling you I had suggested to Albert that he pay attention. And um, as I was thinking about that, when I was a kid, my dad was the preacher. And if I didn't pay attention, he would say, Kelvin, come up here. Wherever I was sitting, I had to walk in front of everybody to the front row and sit there. So pay attention. <laughs> I share that just to kind of uh, help us get started with our message today. We are in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. And I'm going to read these as I'm going through with the sermon. So if you have that uh, Bible with you, you can kind of keep track as we're making progress through here. The question I want to put to you is, did Jesus have an anger problem? We're going to talk about cleansing the temple. And we're going to talk about cursing the fig tree. Did Jesus have an anger problem? I was teaching a class, it was a men's Bible study class, and I was teaching about how to be free from anger. And as I was teaching that, one of the men in the class said, it's okay to be angry because Jesus was angry. In the right conditions, we can be angry. Now, is that true? I want to I stand up for Jesus a minute. He's my friend, and I want to introduce to you who my friend really is. He doesn't condone anger. And he didn't model anger. Not even righteous indignation. Not even righteous anger. But... If ever there was a week for Jesus to be angry, wouldn't this be the week? We call it Passion Week. He just came through the triumphal entry, people yelling and screaming, hey, here you are, this is such good news, and now he knows absolutely for a fact. He's going through this week, and at the end of this week, he's going to hang on a cross and be killed. That's a pretty tough week. That's a lot of stress to be walking around with. But no. I want to introduce Jesus to you as the urgent rabbi. He has one week, and he's teaching his disciples, and he's being an example to the people around him. And he is urgent. Verse 12 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. The purpose of the temple is to be a parable of heaven. When the first temple was built, the tabernacle, 
God said, build a tabernacle for me and I will be there and it will be a physical representation of God who is in heaven being among us as the Israelites. That's what he said to Moses. And then when, when David wanted to build a temple, God said, why would I be in a temple? But I will let your son build a temple so that I can be and meet with you. And the temple, from every description that we have, was holy. Every part of it was holy. Every part of it was suitable for God to come and be in that place and meet with people for holy purposes. It's where we go to abide with God, to visit with God, where we go to worship him and to praise him and to agree in prayer with him. In verse 13, we read this. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. It's a house of prayer, a place of communicating with God, a place where we can be and we know God's presence is right there. So when we ask him a question or when we tell him something or we ask for something, we just give him praise, we know he's right there. We can see him and sense him. And Jesus said, you've made this a den of robbers. You've made this temple a den of robbers. Robbers means people are being self-centered. They're being selfish. They're taking things instead of loving, which is giving things. There's greed going on, and there's sin going on. And Jesus was saying, you have made this house of prayer into this self-centered place that's unholy. Now, there are two times we read about where Jesus cleansed the temple. In John chapter 2, we read about him cleansing the temple. Now, it's un I'm unsure. Did Jesus clear the temple twice? Once at the beginning of his ministry, like it says in John 2? Or did John get his a little bit out of sequence? I'm not entirely sure. But in John 2, listen to this. This is John 2, verses 15 through 17. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal. Zeal is a word we don't use very much today. It's a passion. It's a strong desire. It's a conviction. It's a motivation. And Jesus had zeal. He wasn't angry because he didn't take it personally. But he had zeal for God. 
He was passionate about the temple, the place to meet with God. He was passionate. He had zeal for God's holiness. There's another time where we read about cleansing the temple. And this happened back in Nehemiah's day. Because Nehemiah was the one who came and helped rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and then rebuild the temple. And it was when the Israelites were in Babylon and they were in captivity. And then this was as they were coming out. And Eliashib, the priest, appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, he was also related to Tobiah. And he prepared a chamber for Tobiah so that Tobiah could live in the temple. Now, why is this a problem? Because Tobiah was one of the guys who was against the building of the temple the whole time. He was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of the Jewish people. And yet, Eliashib the priest gave him a room in the temple. So now in Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah himself is talking here. He's writing his little biography. And he says, And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Feels like that sometimes, like Nehemiah. This thing, he had to go back to his other job. And when he came back to visit, here's Tobiah in the temple. And he cleansed the temple. That's zeal. He was showing some zeal there. I think maybe, I don't know for sure, but I think maybe Nehemiah was a little bit angry because he said he's angry, which means he took it personally. I mean, yes, he had zeal about God's holy temple, but I think maybe just a little bit he said, I built this. You don't belong here. And he took it personally. I think that's a little bit of the difference between anger and zeal. That he took it personally and there was an offense there. But look at that picture. The, def- the defiled temple, he cleanses it. He-, he throws out Tobiah. Jesus' zeal was more about the holiness and the reputation of God. Understanding the purpose Now, we have to ask ourselves a question here. Jesus did this. He made a demonstration, and and we we read about it because the gospel writers all wrote about it. But did it work? Was it effective, what Jesus did? Well, we look at the next verse to find that out. Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. He healed the blind and the lame. When he cleansed the temple, all... I have a lesson for you in this. It's a lesson for all of us. You 
are the temple of God. You are the temple. It's not just some building out in Jerusalem. You are the temple. Jesus had zeal for the temple. Jesus has zeal for you. Jesus, the Son of God, has zeal for you. I want to give you an example of this. I get to pray with people for healing all the time. That's what I do. That's my purpose. That's my job God has given me. And I prayed with a man who came to me because he was struggling with an addiction. Now, an addiction, there are all kinds of addictions. Addictions to lust and alcohol and drugs and fear and all kinds of things. But he came because he was struggling with his, an addiction that he wanted to be set free from. And so we prayed. And when we prayed, we asked Jesus to forgive him for taking on this addiction, and he was forgiven. And then we asked Jesus to heal him, to set him free from this addiction, and he was set free. And from that time on, he didn't struggle with that addiction. Jesus had cleansed the temple. That thing that was inside of him we call an addiction Jesus said, get out, you don't belong here. Isn't that fun? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful the way God heals the blind and the lame and the addicts? Now there's more to the story. That same young man gave me a call, it was about two years later. I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, I didn't even want to talk to you. He said, I feel really bad. I slipped up and went back into my addiction. And I know Jesus is disappointed with me, and I know you're disappointed with me, and I didn't even want to talk to you. I said, could we pray together? And we did. We prayed together. And when I prayed with him, I said, you know what? I was a witness when Jesus forgave you, and he's already forgiven you for this addiction. Because when we prayed back two years ago, Jesus forgave you past, present, and future. This is future. You're already forgiven. You need to receive, re-receive that forgiveness. And he said, it's that easy? For Jesus, yes. He received that forgiveness again, recognized we're walking in our shame, we're walking in our guilt, and we go, oh man, I'm filthy again. Tobiah has come back and he's living inside of me. And Jesus says, not on my watch. And he cleanses the temple. Not in my little child here, not in my temple. He wants to restore us to our purpose, to holiness. The blind were healed 
The lame were healed. It was very obvious. When you see someone who is blind and they're healed and now they can see, there's no question. Did it work? Did it take? No, it's obvious. A lame person suddenly is walking. Nobody can say, I don't th- I think that was, you know, fake. No, it's real. It's very practical, real, physical. But Jesus heals the same way in the spiritual realm and in the emotional realm. He heals us, cleanses us from a spirit of fear or a spirit of depression or rejection or an orphan mentality or a poverty mentality or any form of addiction or the diseases. He cleanses you because you are the temple. In verses 15 and 16, we read a little bit about what happened next in the temple. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Hosanna. Hosanna means, I beg you to save. And they called him son of David. Son of David means Messiah, Redeemer, Deliverer. Hosanna, help me. Son of David, deliverer, deliver me. When you see the one who can deliver you, we want to cry out. We want to shout it out. If you could imagine for a minute that somehow you were marooned on an island or adrift on the sea and you're lost and you're going to die and then off in the distance you see a ship. This has never happened to me, but I've seen it in the movies and I know how you're supposed to respond. You yell, help, help, help. You do anything you can to get the attention of the Redeemer, of the Deliverer. Help me. I'm desperate here. And I see that you are there. This is what the children were saying. Hosanna, son of David. I beg you to save. The children recognized that the Deliverer was there. And they saw his miracles, and so they were shouting with zeal. They had zeal. But there was conflict in the temple. Tobiah is back in a way. He's brought self-centeredness, greed, and sin. The very wonderful things that Jesus did made them indignant. The priests were indignant. 
They wanted to keep the status quo. They had a selfish purpose. They should have recognized Jesus. They're the ones that should have been quoting Psalm 108 and other psalms saying, Hosanna, son of David. They should have been leading the children in that kind of praise. But they didn't. They had bad zeal. They had the wrong zeal. Their zeal was for the temple, its physical structure, but not its holiness, not its presence of God condition. You and me, we should recognize Jesus and cry out and beg for help and let him cleanse us because you're a temple. You can be saved. You can be healed. In the Greek, those two words are the same thing. Sozo is the Greek word, and just like it means healed, it means saved. And now we have a scene change in verse 17. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now this verse is in there to let you know a shift has happened. Jesus went from the temple in that place of zeal, and now he's gone away, maybe to Martha and Mary and, and Lazarus's house. That might have been where he was staying in Bethany. And then he's going to come back, but it's a, it's a scene change. He lodged there. And in verses 18 and 19, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Was Jesus confused? He's walking back into the city, and there's a fig tree, but we read in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, that it wasn't the season for fruit. That tree wasn't supposed to have fruit on it right now. And Jesus came by, and he's looking at this tree, and there's no fruit on it. Was he confused? Was he hangry? Are you familiar with that term? Some people, when they're hungry, get angry. When they're hungry, their blood sugar drops down and they get irritable, and then something happens and they get angry. And maybe Jesus was fasting, and as he's walking into town, he's a little hungry, and he looks to this tree, and he's looking for some fruit, and none, and he blows his top. No, not my friend Jesus. Not my friend Jesus who went 40 days without food. He wasn't hangry. He was urgent. He was the urgent rabbi. And he was giving another parable to the disciples. This is a repeat 
parable. He had taught this parable before, and now he was demonstrating it. He was teaching his disciples that he wanted them to catch on. So let me share it with you from Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. This is where Jesus was teaching the parable earlier in his ministry. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Sound familiar? And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone. This year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This was the parable Jesus taught about the fig tree that wasn't producing any fruit. And now here's the urgent rabbi, and he's teaching his disciples. And there's a fig tree with no fruit. And so now he's acting out what he had done before, what he had taught before. In the first parable, fruitless fig tree is given another chance. The vine dresser says, let's give it another year. Let's try to get the soil worked up really good and give it another chance. Let's pamper it a little bit. Let's encourage it a little bit. And early in Jesus' ministry, his message was second chances, love, and forgiveness. He was drawing people in and saying, you can do this. You can have this. I love you. I will forgive you. I will save you. But this parable that he's acting out is a little bit different. It brings judgment day right here. It says, now is the time to decide. Now is the time to test. Now is the time to judge. Is this fruit tree bearing fruit or not bearing fruit? This is the week. And Jesus says, may no fruit come from you again. No excuses. No second chances, like Tobiah being tossed out of the temple. Like the money changers, everybody else being tossed out. The priests and the scribes being challenged. If it doesn't produce, then cut it down. Jesus is demonstrating to his disciples it's time to be serious. It's time to make a choice. It's time to be real. And the tree withered at once. Now that's part of the parable. The tree withered at once. I want to put these two parables together. The parable of cleansing the temple and the parable of the fig tree. The temple's purpose is to be God's home. 
not his only permanent home, but his other home where his presence can be. It's a place for us to connect with God. We are the temple. We are the temple. We have the temple in us because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we have the Holy Spirit in us because we've asked Jesus into our heart. And when we ask Jesus into our heart, he comes into our heart and he makes us the temple. We become the temple. And the fig tree's purpose was to produce fruit. Our purpose is also to produce fruit, to be holy, and to produce fruit for God, to show God's power and his love. We're the temple, and we're the branch in the vine, abiding in the vine and generating fruit, as it talks about in John 15. So when we connect these two parables, we see we are the ones to carry God into the world and to produce fruit so that people can see God's power. So how well did the disciples understand this? They saw these two parables. How, did, how well did they understand Rabbi? Well, verses 20 and 21. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. The withering was immediate just because of Jesus' words. The healing of the blind and the lame in the temple was immediate, just because of Jesus' words. The disciples marveled at Jesus' power. They understood Jesus You are the Son of God, the temple, the healer, the deliverer. You are the temple and you are the vine. If you have faith and do not doubt, it will happen. Have you thought about that? Have you given that some real serious consideration? Jesus is saying, if you have faith, what you say will happen. Well, I've always wanted faith. But when I read this, I wonder, do I also want to be able to talk? Because, boy, sometimes the things I say, ooh, If we're a temple and we're cleansed, like he was teaching the disciples, we see we have the opportunity 
to bear fruit with the power of words. That's what Jesus was saying. But we have to have faith. Now, we have to have faith in God. Not the faith in the outcome, faith in God. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Faith in the Messiah and the Redeemer and the Healer and the Savior. And we're our power to our words. There's power in our faith, in our relationship with him. Then what are you willing to pray for? What are you willing to command? Do you have zeal? Do you have passion for the things of God? What is your deepest desire? And what's God's desire? Because if you say and do not doubt, it will happen. Do you want Jesus to cleanse you as a temple? Do you want him to toss out anything that is contrary to holiness? Anything that is contrary to him? Receive him. And he will heal you from being blind. Blind simply means you can't see what you're supposed to see. And he will heal you from being blind so that you can see what you're supposed to see. And he will heal you from being lame. Lame means it's hard to get where you're trying to go. And he will heal you so that you can walk with him. To make progress in your relationship with him. That's his will. Do you want to produce fruit for the kingdom? Do you want to see people get saved? and healed, and reconciled? Maybe you can think of a loved one, a family member, or somebody you know who has a filthy temple. Would you like to produce fruit and see them be saved, and healed, and reconciled? Or maybe you have a neighbor that you really care about, but they don't yet know Jesus. Would you like to command it, pray for it, ask for it, see fruit in that area? Maybe you have an enemy who doesn't yet know Jesus. Someone who has hurt you or wants to hurt you. Would you be willing to pray, to command their healing and not doubt, and it will happen. That gives us an opportunity to pray like it will really happen. Jesus was the light in the darkness, and he overcame the darkness. 
The darkness today has overcome quite a bit of the world, hasn't it? The darkness today is all around us. Are you willing to be a light in the darkness, just as Jesus was? Our rabbi, Jesus, taught this, and he modeled it, and he authorized it, and he invites you and me to step into it. You are the temple. You are the branch. We get to join our urgent rabbi by watching and walking together with him with zeal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, welcome to your temple. Look around inside of us and find those places where we need cleansing. Use your zeal for us and cleanse us from all impurity, all selfishness, all greed, all sin. Cleanse us and make us pure so that we can show your light and we can produce your fruit. We pray this in your name. Amen.